Hello and welcome to Elixir Talk, the podcast where we discuss your questions about Elixir application design and the state of the ecosystem. My name is Chris Bell and I'm joined by my co-host Desmond Bowie. That threw me off so hard. (laughs) Hi Desmond. Uh, I am in fact the real Chris Bell, so... Um, I think long-term listeners would know that by now. <laughs> I would like to think so. Uh, I've been sitting on that one for a couple of weeks. Wow. <laughs> so this is what you do in your spare time? Think of Elixir talk jokes? Yeah, I, I do. Yeah, maybe I should spend more time doing that as well, actually. <laughs> what about for our listeners, instead of asking us questions about Elixir application design, you can just pull request jokes that we'll make on the podcast? Yeah, I, honestly, I was listening to like uh, The Bike Shed with Aaron Patterson today. And he has a lot of puns. He does. And I think in the Elixir ecosystem, we're really lacking puns. <laughs> don't know. That was the moment to make a pun, and I, I, I came up with nothing. Oh, you try and uh, yeah, because I didn't have any. So I think like the best puns that we've got are in library names. Like there's one called uh, X Machina, but that's not really a pun. It's just more of a thing. I don't just know. Just more of a clever name. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess it's not a pun at all. Um, yeah, so clearly punless is a good way to describe us pundits. Boo! Oh, come on. <laughs> you can't give me that. All right, that's not bad. That's Thank not you. bad. Thank you. I guess the more eye-rolly, the better exactly. when it comes to pundum. Yes, exactly. Because then you can go to the pundodome, <laughs> which is actually a what? thing. <laughs> You're just getting warmed up, aren't you? I'm, I'm really not. I'm just saying everything I know about puns right now. But there is a pun competition here in NYC uh, called the Punderdome. And that's a thing. And what happens in the Punderdome? You go on stage and you pun your life out. <laughs> I don't know. Two puns enter, one pun leaves. Wow. Yes, exactly. You pun until you can pun no more. Well, I have uh, a fun announcement to make about events in LA coming up. I'm excited to announce that the MPEX LA team is holding a civic hack retreat in August. On Saturday, August 4th, we will get a bunch of people together at a mansion in the Hollywood Hills that we've rented. Uh, It's a dope mansion with a pool, is the marketing line. And we're going to get people together in teams of two, and the idea is that people who maybe haven't had a chance to work on a larger elixir project who've maybe messed around with something but really want to like dig their their hands into something meaty will have a chance to relax and work for a day on a legitimate project and it has to be for the good of la so we're gonna have open data sets from the city we're partnering with the hack for la organization to get access to some of this so you'll be able to do something that's interesting to you or it benefits the city or it benefits your neighborhood. So another key piece of this is that there's going to be trainings involved. So several of us with Elixir experience will be on hand to help you skill up, answer questions that you might have about your application design. And so it's kind of a mix of like hackathon and trainings with a pool. So if you're in LA or you will be in LA or you want to come to LA, be sure to check this out. It's going to be a lot of fun. Those of us, those of you that know about MPEX events know that they're always pretty killer. So be sure to check out our website, which is mpex.co slash LA. And tickets are on sale now. You can sign up individually or as a team. If you sign up individually, we'll match you with someone. And it's going to be a lot of fun. 
Is that a connection pool or a swimming pool? We thought about this. It's a swimming pool, but the experts will hang out at the pool. So there's a pool of experts and you check one of us out nice. to go work on your code. Excellent. Very, uh, yeah. That I mean, that sounds awesome. What What is your like ideal outcome from that day? What would you want to see if you could see anything? I would love to see a couple of API wrappers, some libraries around existing data sets that other developers can then use in their applications. I think that would be really cool. And I would like to see something I can't think of, something unexpected. Maybe it's a map of, I don't know, the best surf spots around town. I mean, people mostly know where those are. So a map of pinball bars. Everyone knows where those are too. I don't know if that's a city data set. That's a good question. I mean, we're we're going to figure this out ahead of time. I mean, there's going to be like a pre-retreat meeting where people can think about what the project they want to work on is so that the day of you can kind of hit the ground running. But I really want to leave it to the contestants to say what would be fun and cool. And the reason we're, we're having, we're talking about this civic hack retreat theme is it gives people focus around what do we work on? One of the big challenges I think with hackathons is you show up, you have a blank slate, and as we know, there's nothing more intimidating than a blank slate. Mm-hmm. It definitely feels like it's a good opportunity to kind of stretch your elixir legs as well, right? Like if you haven't done that much before, um, at least you could partner with someone and kind of come up with a project idea together and work on it. I think having that real world project is really important, especially when you're first learning something. Well, your mileage may vary, depends on how you learn. But I think you're absolutely right where if if you are someone who has played around with Elixir, you've written a sample Phoenix app, you've done some Cohen's, and now you want to see what does it look like to really work with this language on something useful. It's great to have this kind of direction around, we want to build this product that does this thing or helps other developers, whatever. Uh, And if you're a more experienced developer, then this is a great opportunity to dig in and and show something off and and get your name out there. We'll showcase all the projects on the website and we'll be tweeting about it, whatever. So you will get some exposure as well. Cool. So where can I go to find out more about that? The website. Which is? mpex.co. That's E-M-P-E-X dot C-O. And we can put, we'll put it, it in the show notes, <laughs> folks. I wonder if anyone looks at the show notes. Probably not. It's okay. Maybe they do. Let us know if you do. Um, yeah. <laughs> Or if you Maybe don't, our mothers read the show notes. <laughs> yes, hopefully. So what what else has been going on with you? The question is, what's been going on with you? <laughs> Just flipping <laughs> that one on its head. Uh, I was thinking a bit about a response that we had to uh, something we talked about a couple of podcasts ago. Oh, yeah, by the way, just for everyone who's listening, who might be expecting a special guest. Today, we do not have one. So sorry, you're just stuck with Desmond and myself. But hopefully you find us entertaining and enjoyable in in its own unique way. (laughs) So, yeah, I was thinking a lot about um, when we answered a question a couple of podcasts ago about using generic implementations, about using protocols or behaviors to solve a particular pipelining problem. We had a a suggestion come back on the Twitter sphere, I believe, about potentially using plug as a way to solve that. Um, So I'm first of all, Desmond, what are your thoughts? On using plug to solve, let's outline the problem quickly for our listeners because they might not remember. Okay, I kind of forgot what the problem was. Well, so I, maybe... I forgot what it too. 
Oh, the original problem. So Eli's issue was that he had several consumers of a RabbitMQ. Well, he had different RabbitMQ queues and then different modules that acted as consumers for each of these queues. And each module would have its own business logic. And the logic was around sending emails, I believe. And so his question was, there's a lot of overlap in functionality among these, these consumers. So what's the best way to share that functionality? Is it with a behavior? Is it with a protocol? Is it with macros? What's the answer? And we came up with a combination of behaviors and protocols. Mm. So how would we use a plug in this situation? So I think the person that suggested it was thinking more about um, kind of streamlining some of the logic around like, do this thing, do this thing, do this thing, do this thing. Uh, for the audience out there, if you haven't um, used Plug, Plug is a core construct inside of Phoenix. It's basically um, an abstraction over the top of uh, an incoming HTTP request. And effectively, Plugs allow you to kind of pipeline different functions that have different kind of implementations based on what it's doing. Um, so that might be like set a particular request ID when a request comes in, or in the case of Phoenix, it would be call a controller and a particular action within that controller. So plugs form the basis of like of effectively like a pipeline of do this thing. And they have a very nice interface where they basically, you can override the plug behavior at any point. You implement an init function and a call function, and therefore it is a plug. Fun fact, did you know that controllers are also plugs? That's cool. Yeah. I mean, because then you can say, do all these other extra plugs mm -hmm. inside of that plug, right? Yeah. So yeah, I think Phoenix is a good example of where that like plug abstraction is really nice, especially to say like, this series of functions gets executed before any controller function gets executed or controller action gets executed. So there was a suggestion about using something similar to do something like this. And the, let's see, there's a gist here with uh, a spec of how it works. And the basic idea is each message that comes off of the RabbitMQ queue would be passed to a series, would be a notification struct, and that gets passed into these different plugs. And you would have plugs like, hold on, cat on keyboard, cat on keyboard. <laughs> you would have different plugs for things like check if the user has opted into email notifications, check if uh, the mattress was shipped, check if we also have to send an SMS in addition to an email, and really push or compose each pipeline with a series of these smaller chunks of code. So... My first feeling about this is like it's using an abstraction that's wrong. Like plugs are built for web requests, right? And I feel like we're trying to use it for something that is, uh, you know, you're trying to like bastardize this thing and use it in a context where effectively what you're trying to do is call a series of functions individually one by one. And I feel like we have better ways of doing that built into the language with the exact same kind of composability traits in this case. Um, so for me, I was thinking about using a with statement to do this instead. So a with will execute each line as long as it matches on the left-hand side of the with. So if you had one that's like, send email, do next thing, do next thing, and each one matched against an okay something tuple, then you have the exact same semantics of being able to do this without having to use plug that's an abstraction built over HTTP requests. And even if you don't 
need a width. Like you're not concerned that a particular line of code will fail or somehow go wrong if you really just want to do this and then do that and do the other thing. That's just a pipe chain. Yeah, but don't you feel like it gets weird in pipelines where you basically, um, or a pipe chain where you have like OK error tuples returned? If I have OK error tuples that could be returned and I'm concerned about that, then yeah, I would use a width. Because mm. a width is essentially nested case statements. But I'm talking about a case, or the situation, I should say, where you're really just doing this and then doing that. Check if the user's OK. Well, I guess that would be a case statement. But then... Hmm. Now I'm sort of going back on myself because what I think the, the issue here is that you're mixing the conditional checks of should I do this and then do it. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Pipe chain is more about just a series of transformations of your data. So now I'm going back to fetch user, but then that could be blank. So I don't know, upcase the string, split it on spaces, do something with the array. That's sort of transformation where you, stuff cannot go wrong. That's a pipe chain. And Elixir does give us several, let me backtrack. That's a very powerful abstraction. And that's, I think, the core of why functional programming is great and maps well to uh, how we think about problems and helps us reason about them well. Because we do this, we do that, we take the output, we do this other thing. So we have a couple of ways of doing that in the language, the pipe operator, the case statement, the with statement. And plug is an enhanced and, to your point, focused implementation of that idea. Mm -hmm. I So I think that what we're talking about here is things that have async kind of requirements, right? Like something that has a side effect elsewhere that can fail. And I think when you're dealing with data and um, control flow like that, I, I think we already have a really nice way of representing like success or failure states in our tag tuples that we use that are if you're not doing that in the language i think you should be doing that and i feel like most libraries kind of push you in that direction as well as long as a lot of the core kind of libraries i think that like if you're going to represent control flow like that using a with is a really nice way to represent it but if you have something that needs a bit more control like say that you need to say do this thing then do this thing, but if one of those fails, then do a rollback, that's a different problem, right? And that, that one's actually really interesting, doing like async functions like that with rollbacks and being able to deal with those kind of like chains of lots of control flow are um, sometimes difficult to re represent in the language without a, another abstraction over the top. So counterpoint, that makes sense when you are doing control flow. In this situation, if I don't want to send a user an SMS, I may still want to send them an email. So the result of, or the question of do I send them an email is independent of the result of do I send an SMS. Yeah, so in that case, I would just have a with where I say like underscore on the with return because you don't care if it succeeds or fails. And I could still represent that in the nice same control flow mechanism. But so if all of the results of your with statement are underscores because you don't care if they work, then you have a pipeline. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it depends what you're returning from each pipeline, though, right? But it, even beyond what it's returning, you don't care what it's returning. Like, whether it's success or failure, or it does the thing or doesn't do the thing, each of those actions is independent of the previous action. Yeah, but, uh, I mean, in the pipeline, you're passing the first result in uh, the first argument into the function, right? So I'm thinking, like, if you're going to try and chain all those things together, you might have to have a way of, like, passing the result between each one. 
And then it gets a bit weird because instead of returning the result of the function, you're just returning the thing that got passed into it. Well, and if we don't care what the result of the previous function is, that's not even a pipeline. That's just a series no. of function calls. Yeah, it's just, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, that is a very good point. You're basically just executing functions and throwing away the results at that point. Which brings us back to um, this implementation. Oh, no, I want to give this this guy credit here. This is GitHub user MMMRees, or MREES. And I'm assuming it's a guy. This person... This person's implementation looks like that. Plug, check if user subscribed. Plug, check if user opted in with the option of default true. Plug, send the shipped email. Plug, send the shipped SMS. And then each of those plugs, or you could implement them as private functions and do away with plugs altogether. And so this, I think, is where the plug abstraction is not the good fit because I think plugs are useful when you have a with situation of halt the chain, the user isn't logged in, halt the request. Uh, the user doesn't have access to this resource, halt request. Well, I think the point there is like you're dealing with a request entity, right? Or in that case, it's a plug con. And like that to me is the problem with that implementation um, from that listener is that the pl- like if you're, if you're importing plug into that, you're kind of sending a signal that you're dealing with web requests. Like that—that that would be how I would read that as a as a developer coming into that project. Um, plugs, in the definition of the plug library, it says a specification for composable modules between web applications, connection adapters for different web servers in the Erlang VM. The the reason why plug exists is as an abstraction layer on top of those web requests, um, and to do that behavior it just feels really weird to like use it in this way that it's it was not intended purely to just have this convenience of being able to call function to function and having it halt if you need to which to me is just like more elegantly represented through okay error tuples but aren't you thinking small here man i mean can't we see (laughs) can't we see the utility in having a larger like more grandiose way of chaining Chaining actions together yeah, sure. And I think there's probably like a better abstraction if you want to do that. Do you know what you could do in that case? You could write another macro that just does it called execute or something if you really wanted to do that. <laughs> and then like chain a bunch of shit together using that macro. But like, I I don't know. I, I just feel like at this point, you're going against the grain in terms of the la- like the, uh, the the explicitness that we so wanted in this language, right? You're, you're like trying to say that instead of just representing this thing using the core constructs, we're having to kind of use these different ideas to, to do this. And I think Eli's original question was born out of a feeling of, I'm repeating a lot of code. I come from a background where people kept saying, don't repeat yourself. And in my experience anyway, that intention, that feeling has led to more obfuscated code than anything else like just write it out at the same time you know if you're repeating yourself all the time that's bug prone code it is but like is repetition that bad no i mean i i I repeat (laughs) stuff all the time right i mean i repeat stuff all the time (laughs) (laughs) you got it in um i i think like as developers we're taught that repetition is terrible but like often like 
you know, repeating yourself for some things like this, it's not the it's not the end of the world, right? Like doing that, and if it's kind of um, well encapsulated, the repetition isn't that terrible. Um, there was a tweet that I was desperately trying to just find uh, moments ago, but I'm struggling. So I will find it. <laughs> Take your time. We'll edit this part out. Okay, that's good because this is really awkward otherwise. Okay. Um, so there's a tweet that I found recently that I really like uh, from someone called Tef. And Tef wrote this fantastic article that I reference very regularly called uh, Write Code That's Easy to Delete and Not Maintain. And uh, in a recent tweet, Tef says, Don't repeat yourself means that any trivial change can affect almost every other component. Redundancy is healthy in a large system. And I, I kind of agree with that. I think like there's there's things that, you know what, like repeating yourself on a few parts isn't the end of the world. I think if you try and abstract too early, you might be doing the wrong thing as well in that case. I don't know how you feel about that. <laughs> if you're asking me that whether I believe that abstracting things too early is not a good idea, then the answer is yes. Sweet. So we perfect agreement and alignment there. Well, how tidy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, obviously, there's like a, p a point in time for like hiding these things away in macros, right? Like, say you've got like 15 consumers of this thing, then yeah, sure. Like, it's probably a good idea to generalize your implementation and like, you know, move it, to, uh, abstract it to some other module and then like put it behind a macro or something and use it. Um, I think that's all right. But I think in this case, like choosing the right tool for the job is choosing something that's built into the language until you really don't need to do that. So I've worked on probably a dozen different large-ish production Elixir apps at this point. I've never seen a custom macro. I mean, I've seen like, I've never seen like a heavily used custom macro. There might be some small thing to do whatever, I'm going to share some functionality, but nothing on the level that you're talking about approaching like the with statement. I just don't, mm. I just don't see it. I mean, we've never needed it in a project. It hasn't even gotten to the point of, is this worth it? It's just like, we've never had an issue expressing the problem in something beyond language constructs. Right. I, I mean, I like, honestly, if you came and looked at our code base, I think you'd find a lot of macros and maybe you'd be a bit surprised, but I think there's some good reasons why we macroatize various things. I think we try and push back and don't do it too frequently, but uh, sometimes for the sake of elegance gets like gets the better of us, I would say probably on that front. Um, but I, I don't know, I, I think like the, generally the macros like tidy away things that we're sharing all over the place. Like I'm thinking about, um, we have some really nice like cache macros um that we can use inside of decorators um and the decorator is a macro in itself um and i really wish the language had decorators built in <laughs> if i'm being honest chris can i see your macros yeah i can share some of them that's a that's a nutrition just... joke oh i didn't even get that <laughs> i thought you were just being really curious about our macros but... no it came up at the gym today so i was thinking about it uh, let's talk about decorators though for a second. Ha have you have you tried to use decorators before in any other language? Only at Christmas time. Oh wow! It was just <laughs> attempted pun central today. Eh? 
That was just um, a joke. That wasn't a pun. <laughs> I guess it's Wow, I really just don't know what a pun is. <laughs> um, so uh, for those that don't know, uh, decorators are kind of functions get that get wrapped around your function invocations. Um, and they're really useful for doing things where you don't want to kind of muddy the, uh, the function body itself. Um, so... Let me give you a canonical example. Uh, we do all of our kind of stats D um, tr like timing and metrics gathering in a decorator because otherwise putting that inside of the function head or sorry, inside of the function body um, gets a bit weird. So otherwise you basically have, you, you have like one other layer of in indentation around the thing that you're actually trying to do because you're wrapping it in another function effectively like a track this function call. Um, so we move all of those things into decorators and we use a library uh, conveniently called decorator um, that I'll link to in the show notes that uh, does all of this. And I really believe that decorators are a really nice addition to the language and I kind of wish they existed. They're, they're just another way to call functions and like they're kind of side effecty by the nature of the things that you want to do in the decorator itself. But I think that's okay in a lot of ways as well. So what is an example of one of these decorated timed functions looks like? Looks like. So it's in a module syntax called at decorate. And then we, um, and it's the name of the function that gets invoked. So those functions are in like a global scope and you define all of the, the, the functions that are available as decorators. Um, and then they're able to be used everywhere. Um, so an example of that would be, we have one decorator that's called measure. Um, and when we wrap, if we put the, the measure statement above any function call, we will generate stats D information. So we will be capturing um, the execution time, the 95th percentile, um, the 90th percentile, the average execution, all of those kind of stats about that function invocation just automatically. And it will infer the name of the function and from the module name and the name of the function. And that will be used as the key for tracking all those metrics against. Sounds dope. Yeah, honestly, it's really fucking nice. <laughs> Sorry, swearing. But um, <laughs> it's it's just like really, really nice. And like we have one for retrying um, calls as well. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so if something is like, oh, you know what? It needs a retry around it. We have like a decorator that's called retriable and you just put at decorator retriable um, and you can give it a few options if you want, like the number of retries that you would expect and then it will just retry and it does its job. So, Could you post some of this, like some of the uh, that decorator code on GitHub or is that proprietary? No, definitely post it, definitely. So uh, we actually just built all of these things on top of very simplistic basics from this decorator library. So the decorator library itself does all the, the macro magic under the hood because what they have to do is basically at compile time figure out that this decorator function needs to be wrapped around the function that you're trying to invoke. And then they uh, do all the magic of doing all that wrapping for you so that when you actually invoke the function, it invokes the thing that you wanted to... Um, the decorator function first, and then the function inside of it. I was going to say, would it be easier to create a macro like a def measure, and then the rest of your function syntax that then rewrites the function in that wrapping? But then I realized you couldn't chain those. 
Like if you were measuring and you wanted to retry something. Right. Uh, actually, you can't. Uh, can you do that in this library? I don't think you can. Mm. Um, I think it's bound to a single decorator, if I remember rightly. It also has some really weird edge, like really weird things. Um, and I, I guess people don't like decorators because they are kind of side effecty, right? Like they do magic in the background. So you can be like, decorate, blah. And you basically have a magic door to do whatever you want. But I think they're like a really nice way to meta program. Yeah, but I guess it's one of those like use it wisely kind That's of ideas. Good advice. <laughs> yeah, use I this guess. power only for good. Yeah, it's I, like, but the fact that you can do this makes me feel like, you know, we haven't completely gone off the rails. Although I guess we have slightly. Well, the point of all this is not to be pure about being explicit. Like the whole point of the whole reason being explicit is a virtue is because it helps us write clean, maintainable code that's easy to reason about. If it didn't, then being explicit would not be a virtue. And the road to somewhere is paved with good intentions. And people always think they're virtuous when they're making these abstractions. Like people do that because they think it will be easier in the long run or they're trying to prove how smart they are, whatever. And I'm certainly guilty of this. But mm. if it makes it easier and much cleaner to instrument your functions, which, yeah, it would be super annoying to have all of your functions indented an extra line. It would litter a lot of your code with this boilerplate, basically. And if you can solve that cleanly with a macro, then I think that's a net win. Yeah, I, I really, I'm very much with you. I mean, I was the one that kind of pushed to do this here. And I think that actually it really cleans it up. I think like, we basically have a golden rule here that's like do it on side effect things and you know what keep the scope of it fairly limited so like measuring function invocations um and it gives you a really nice hook to do that but maybe there should be a hook in the language in which you can do it you know why not maybe there's like maybe this should be something inside of the language that you don't have to worry about using something external to do and we could push you know, for having like, maybe you could have another macro that's like hook into these function calls and then invoke these other functions like around it or before or after. I wonder if any core team members listen to our podcast. I don't even know if they do. Uh, <laughs> if you do and you hate this idea, then uh, that's okay. <laughs> Call us out on Twitter. Definitely. Um, but yeah, there you go. I told you Jose dumped on my idea about cleaning up gen servers. Oh, really? Did I tell you about this? Yeah, it no. was um, this discussion in the Elixir forum about uh, coming off of Dave Thomas's talk about how do we reduce some of this boilerplate? And I was like, just send the messages. Why do you need a bunch of client functions? Jose had a differing opinion. And he's not wrong. I still think that my ideas are useful in some situations. But um, what are you going to do? <laughs> so do you feel shot down completely? Or do you feel like it was a... Uh... You know, good to have the idea in the first place. I mean, I think it's always good to have these ideas and to put them out there. And I think it's common in the community to not express ideas because you think they're stupid. And maybe they are stupid. But damn it, no one can stop me from doing it. But really, like, it's, you know, it's conversation. And I think we all have our own experiences that led us to um, where we are. And maybe someone has tried something and doesn't work or someone hasn't tried something and they are coming from a place of theory or, you know, their other experience. So what's the lesson here? 
Don't be afraid to express your ideas, folks. Try mm. it out, and maybe you'll get the creator of the language to respond directly to you. Nice. You know, I, th- I think there's value in having these ideas, and, and the internet is a free place, right? So we can do it. For now. Yeah. Well... I was going to make a GDPR joke, but I'm also fairly scarred by doing the implementation for it. I just don't want to make any jokes about it. Too soon, huh? Yeah, too soon. Too soon. Um, I did want to just go back to the pipelines topic just slightly, though. And on a related note, wanted to bring up a really great library that we started using recently. So in the spirit of kind of promoting other libraries on this podcast there was a great blog post that went out about this library called sage and sage uh, is basically the implementation of a sagas pattern in elixir um, and it's written in pure elixir of what pattern uh sagas oh sagas yes yeah, sagas yeah like epic sagas <laughs> so sagas are long-lived transactions effectively but, I mean, there's a lot more nuance to it than that that I probably won't do a good job of explaining. But basically, the goal of Sage is to help with distributed transactions and especially around error recovery and cleanup. And Sage has some guarantees built into it that if some of the things fail in that transaction, it will help to try and uh, run the the, uh, recovery states to kind of clean things up. So uh, a very succinct description is it's like Ecto Multi, but across business logic and third-party APIs, which mm. I think is great. So really good example of using this. It, so in in that world of pipelining that you talked about, uh, or the, sorry, that we talked about before, where do thing one, do thing two, do thing three. If do thing two fails, and you also need to roll back Um, the first thing you did sometimes that's not easy especially when you're talking about things that have already been created on third-party apis or something like that so a really good example is doing anything to do with payment so i'm sure as most of the people who are listening here have had that like pleasure in the past so you might want to say create a subscription Um, maybe you're, you're using stripe as a handler you create an internal subscription then you want to create a subscription on stripe the, the Stripe one fails for whatever reason. And now you need to roll back that first subscription that you made as well. So the goal of Sage is to basically just make all of that really easy. Um, and uh, we as a team here at Frame.io have been utilizing Sage recently to kind of clean up a lot of our um, payment transaction code, basically. And it's honestly, like from the initial results, it's been really fantastic. And Sage has some really nice kind of functions uh, to make dealing with this kind of async data really easy and dealing with the rollbacks really easy as well. So how does it handle going back to a previous, like how, do, how does it get that smart around? Uh, yeah, it doesn't. <laughs> it's basically the long and the short of it. You describe basically for each, like each clause that you want to run, you define the thing that you want to do and the thing to do if the thing fails. So you can always say like, so the example that I gave before, like the create subscription one, you would have a corresponding delete subscription function for if you do need to roll that stage or that effect, as they call them, back. So is that the same delete function you would use during the normal course of business logic to remove a subscription? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You don't have to really do too much else other than that. Okay. Yeah, and um, the other the other thing that Sage does uh, there's a lot to it and we'll obviously link to it in the show notes but 
It allows you to kind of deal with some of the timeouts in APIs more elegantly. You can also deal with retries, uh, backoffs. It does like exponential retries with uh, Jitter as well. So you're not always trying at the same point in time if, if the API fails. Um, just they, they do a lot of really, really nice things in the library that makes it a lot easier to deal with a lot of these kind of um, distributed transactions. So this is really specifically for side effects and external calls. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, you could, I mean, if you had a service-oriented API um, and you were calling lots of services and you needed to like, if something failed along that journey, you needed to do like a two-phase commit or something like that, you could do that in Sage as well. Cool. And you've been using this for a while in production? Not in production yet and not for a while. <laughs> this is... Isn't this a little premature? <laughs> yeah, I guess it is. But like, I think it's really interesting and like we're experimenting with it right now, but we've we've honestly seen some really nice results of doing it. Um, it like cleaned up a lot of that with kind of blocks of code where dealing with rollbacks was in inherently difficult, especially when you're talking about entities created in your system and externally and then dealing with rollbacking between both. Um, that can get really pr problematic at times. And basically what we did is we refactored a bunch of Ecto multi-code to use Sage. So shout out to Eli for doing that on my team. Cool. Thanks, Eli. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's definitely worth checking out if you're doing stuff like this. Like, I think with any complex system, you eventually end up needing to you know, leverage other people's APIs. Well, I don't know. It depends what line of work you're in. But most of the time, you end up needing to do this. Mm -hmm. So I just, yeah, and it, it feels like the right kind of way to abstract some of these problems. Cool. Sounds yeah. fun. Definitely is. Um, so yeah, that's the thing. Total thing. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, I think that's all I've got. That's all I've got as well. <laughs> I thought you were stroking the cat again, but it wasn't. The cat's asleep. She's sleeping in front of me on a uh, like a soundproof piece of foam, but then her head is just off it, so her head is like lower down a little further onto the floor. But she's like kind of face down. My cat's my. I have an interesting cat. She's very sweet, but she's not that bright. I, I always really enjoy it when I hear her meow on the podcast. So <laughs> we'll have her, shout out to Desmond's cat. We'll have her on as a special guest one of these days. <laughs> yeah. Look forward to that. Yeah. All right. Well, hopefully, I don't have anything to say. I don't know why I started with hopefully. All right, folks. Well, this has been another exciting episode of Elixir Talk. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back next week with a special guest that we will announce later but stay tuned because it's always a good time definitely and if you have any questions or you want to reach out to us you can find us on twitter at twitter.com forward slash elixir talk and on github at github.com slash elixir talk and then it's slash elixir talk if you want to open up any issues or hear us discuss anything on the podcast thanks so much everyone then we'll uh see you next time and as always keep elixir, keep elixir in, in.